Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. It's a pretty in-depth discourse of your worth and value to God and your identity in Christ and coming to the realization that, yes, the old you is dead. The old you is gone. God is not relating to you based on... I thought I was going to talk about this stuff, but I'm just going to preach the gospel. <laughs> God's not relating to you based on your pre-cross identity. Amen? Amen? He's relating to you based on this brand new heart that He gave you that knows how to follow God, that hears His voice, the identity that has been washed and made clean and totally made new in Jesus. That's how he relates to you now. Amen? Amen. Now, you still got some external things that that righteousness needs to filter into, right? And that's the paradox. And people teach, well, progressive justification or positional righteousness. And it's like, okay, well, if my position is seated in Christ in heavenly places, hidden with Christ in God... That's my current position, not location, but the kind of being that I am. That's what I am, hidden with Christ in God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you can live from that position, man, you're not, living, you're not trying to live toward God. You're living from God. <clears throat> and actually, that's really, it's a segue into what I want to talk about. You know, again, there's some details here. Some of you will not agree with this stuff, but that's all right. I'm not, it doesn't really matter. Some people are watching on video that might not like some of these things, but, you know, we're going to look at the Bible. Let me just say this from the very beginning. The Bible is not wrong, but sometimes the way we interpret it can be. So God doesn't look on the outward man. He looks at the heart. In Galatians 3.28, we see there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Ultimately, that's what God looks at. Now, that doesn't invalidate the context of marriage and and the structure of all that, which let me just touch on that. You know, it says the man is head of the household and the husband is the head of the wife. Well, you know, people that really major on that topic, I've sat them down and asked them, well, what does that mean? They don't know. It's like, well, you know, if there's a financial decision that needs to be made, I'm the one that needs to make it. Or the man makes the important decisions. You ever heard that translation that the husband is the head of the wife? The man makes the important decisions. Well, what if the man is really bad with money? (laughs) That's a pretty important decision. What if the man was abused as a child and doesn't know how to have a relationship with his children and he kind of just hasn't experienced wholeness in the mother, there is leading the way of how those children are going to be raised. What if it's a single mother and there is no man? Who's the head then? Jesus. And I thought about this, and again, this is subjective. I'm not trying to say that this is the exact application of that, but you think about some things. See, the way we typically interpret the Bible is look at it face value and says, okay, it says this, it means this, without looking at the historical and cultural references, and without looking at everything else that the Word of God has to say about it, sometimes people will just lift up one passage and look at it and say, it says this, that's, this is what, how you're supposed to apply it. It's like, okay, I see that it says that, and I'm not trying to 
twist or change that, but this, let's just look at the whole context of what the entire Bible says about that subject. Let's look at some of the historical issues. Let's look at some of the cultural issues. And then let's look at the function of it. Because I've seen people that talk about man's head of the household. And it's like, in function, he ain't leading anything. So what does it mean? So you put it in context of marriage, and the only real definitive statements that are made around the idea of the man being the head of the household, and the, you know, head of the wife and all that kind of stuff, is that the husband is to love the wife, to Christ love the church. There's not a whole lot of definition that you get, but that's pretty specific. So you think, okay, well, how did Christ love the church? Well, Christ loved the church by dying for us when we were dead in our sin. Self-sacrificial laid himself down. And then, how, why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. So to me, the only real definitive point you can put on the husband being head of the wife is it is his job to bring unconditional love into the house first before anything else happens, like Jesus did. That's how Jesus loved the church. Now, you can break that off into other things, and, you know, I, I get that. I'm not, going, I'm not trying to rearrange everything, but as far as description, that's the only real definition that we have is love. That's the context of, of authority is love. Amen. You don't have to say amen. I'm just wondering, you know. <laughs> so let's look at... 1 Corinthians 7, 1, real quick. Now we're going to get into this should women be silent thing. We got, oh, we got plenty of time here. We're doing good. Are y'all interested in this? Yeah. You know, because I've, I've had people ask. I mean, I gave you a little bit of the gospel, so we'll look at this. All right, so this is Paul talking to Corinth. Corinth was a Roman-influenced church, and it was pretty bad. I mean, there were some wacky things going on in Corinth, like... Well, there's kids in here, so I'm not going to go too much into it, but it just was unhealthy relationships, you know, stuff that you might experience from the people in Alabama or something like that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alabama folks, we love you. Heresy. <laughs> I, that's right, my, uh, yeah, sorry. All right, just erase that part. So, but you know what I'm, you know, you know the stigma, right? And this stuff was literally happening in Corinth, and it was pretty bad. And so they wrote letters to Paul, and this is in 7-1, this is Paul writing back to them, and he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And then he goes into all this stuff. That's not the point of where we're going. The first part is what we're talking about. He's responding to things that the church of Corinth sent to him. And this gets pretty technical, but there is a, there is a quotation in the original Greek called an eta. You're smiling over there. You're, you've studied this before. No. You're just surprised I'm going here. <laughs> He's happy. <laughs> is it eta, eta? Where's Sam? Do you know? Eta, E-T-A. It's a, it's a quotation that we don't get translated into our English versions, but in the Greek, it, it signifies like a quotation mark. Like, so if you're saying something, if you're writing something, and then you quote what someone else said, and then you respond to it afterward, and you put the parentheses or the quotes around it, that's the 
uh, the annotation that's in the original language around where we're about to go in 1 Corinthians 11 and then 1 Corinthians 14 if you want to bookmark those. But in other words, it's saying, because we read through straight through and we think that every word being said is from that author. And sometimes they're quoting another author or they're quoting Psalms or something like that. You know, you've seen that where like David in Act, or uh, Peter in Acts 2, he's going through and all of a sudden he starts quoting a Psalm, you know. So that, that's what's happening here, especially in these verses. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 5 through 6. Now remember... It's like Job. Well, I'm, I'm going to twist your brain here just for a second. Most of you are with me on this. But it's like Job. When Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, it's true that Job said that, but that's not a true statement about the character of God because God manifested himself to Job later on and said, Hey, what are you talking about? Where were you when I weighed out the heavens? Where were you when I measured this and that? Where were you when I created these things? What are you talking about? And, Paul, and then Job responds and says, Oh, I... I'd heard about you, but now I know you. And he repents for all that other stuff that he had said. Now, I know that's a big one, but it's true. There are things in there, it's true they said it, but if they didn't understand the character of who God is, then it's, it's not an accurate statement about God. That doesn't mean the Bible is wrong. It means you have to read it in context. Read it in cultural perspective and historical perspective to get that stuff to make sense, okay? You're not twisting it and changing it. You're just looking at it with the big picture. All right, so that's what we're looking at here. 1 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6. Women should cover their heads when they pray or prophesy. All right, so he's saying, cover your head, women, when you pray or prophesy. And then down in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, let your women keep silence in the church, for it's not permitted unto them to speak. Cover your head when you speak. Don't speak. You see? Now, when we see a seeming contradiction in the Bible like that, the Bible is not wrong. We have a misunderstanding what's happening. And usually when you go back and you study the context and the historical perspective and the cultural issues, and unfortunately you don't get that stuff from just an average reading of the Bible, but praise God we have resources and, and, and all kinds of history to go back. I mean, we look, if you look, there's all kind of archaeological evidence that's coming out that, that, that women were leaders in the early church, big time. I mean, you got all, you've got even in the Old Covenant, women were prophets and judges. I mean, that, you didn't get a higher position than a judge in the nation of Israel. You know, and it wasn't because God couldn't find somebody else. It was because God put her in that place. So, when you study this out, and this is one of those details, some people won't agree with this. I'm not trying to get you to agree with me. I'm just trying to get, show you how to read some things that you might have had a hard time with in Scripture. But most scholars, when you read this stuff, they talk about that this was probably a cultural issue. So, does the Bible contradict itself? No. You've got, on one hand, he's saying, women, cover your heads when you prophesy in church. And then another one, it says don't speak in church. And the context is in church if you go and read through the rest of 1 Corinthians 11. So what's happening here? Let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 34. You know, it's kind of like 
he's almost setting the standard for how everybody should function within a church. Elders should function this way. You should only be married to one woman. Your kids shouldn't be crazy. You shouldn't be getting drunk during communion. I mean, pretty basic stuff, right? You know, you know and, and he does frame the work around the husband being head of the household and stuff like that. You, you don't throw that out. We're not trying to, you know, rearrange God's structure. But we're just looking at some of the issues of how women have been oppressed and unfairly treated within the church. Can I get amen? amen. 1 Corinthians 14.34. Um, and we're going to keep on reading through 36. So let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded... <clears throat> But they are, and see, you don't get the italics in here, so you don't get, when you're reading the Bible, if you see a word in italics that's not in the original language, that doesn't apply here much because it doesn't change the context much, but watch what happens here. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted, you know, and that's another thing, keep silence where? I thought the early church didn't have church. They just roamed around and met wherever they, you know, there's a big movement saying that. It's like this anti-church thing. You're not supposed to have structured church. The early church didn't do it that way. Wrong. Anyway, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded. Now, right before this 34, again, this is technical, so I'm not rolling like I normally do. Forgive me if I go back and forth. But right before this, in this 34, 35, and 36, sometimes in some translations are actually put at the end of this chapter. So it rearranges the, even the context of what's being said. Right before this verse, in the Greek, there is that ita, which is signifying he's quoting something else. Remember the verse in verse 7 when he said, now concerning the things you wrote to me? It's almost like the rest of 1 Corinthians he's going through, and he's addressing and responding to things that they wrote about in the letter to him. He deals with prophecy, he deals with idols, he deals with... Uh, ritual cleansings and all this kind of stuff. And so they had questions, and he's answering the questions. Apparently, they had a question about women in church. So right before this, you can look at this as if, like, Paul would be reading the letter that they sent him, but he's inserting it here, and he's about to respond to it. So this is what they wrote to him. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be uh, under obedience as also says the law. Now, keep it right there for one second. What do you know about Paul regarding the law? I wish I could have, I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> he said the law's good if you use it lawfully, right? It's not for righteousness. And man, I'm telling you, he is the... Apostle of grace. He fights all the time to get people to understand you're not under the law. You have been made free from the law. The, the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you was nailed to the cross of Christ. This by no means that we throw out the law. You don't invalidate the wisdom of God that was revealed in the law. You don't throw out the moral character or the moral structure of life that was revealed in the law. But Paul over and over and over hammers people. I mean, he picked a fight with Peter because Peter was eating 
improperly with Gentiles or still trying to get Gentiles to eat the right way or he separated himself. Paul is not advocating, let's now live by the law. Don't throw the law out. You just realize what portions are applicable today and none of it for righteousness was never meant for righteousness in the first place. So it's just another indicator that he's quoting somebody else, okay? And by the way, also the law that he's talking about here, and this is one of those technical things you go and you read commentaries and, and different uh, you know, texts that support the Bible. This, what he's talking about here is the oral law. You remember Jim last week talked about the fence laws? It's like, well, here's the actual law, but let's build a fence around that law so that we weren't tempted to break that law. So it's like you've got two sets of laws, and one law is not even what God revealed. It's what the Pharisees and what the, uh, the corrupt temple system brought it to, which God finally delivered us from in Christ. Doesn't mean the law's bad. Doesn't mean God, a mistake. God made a mistake in giving the law. It was a schoolmaster to keep them moving in a particular direction until he could get his Messiah in the earth and then write his laws on their hearts rather than on stone and guide them from the inside. Rather than it being external obedience, it's a transformation of character. It's a transformation of desire. It's a transformation of kind of being that you are, that you naturally live in accordance to God's law. Amen? All right. I know this is a lot. But the law that, he's, that they're referencing when they're writing to him is the oral law. Because when you go back, there's not actually any law in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant that says women should be silent in church when you study it out. All right, next verse. And if they learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Next verse. What? <laughs> I, I didn't write that. <laughs> Now he's going back. This is his answer. What? Say it. What? <laughs> Came the word of God out from you? You see what he's saying? He's like, and, and then he says, or came it unto you only? So he's like, are you the one that's deciding what God has said? Because he starts it by what? Now we know what that means. Paul had the gift of sarcasm too. <laughs> if you read a lot of the old, a lot of the epistles, you see Paul's sarcasm over and over and over. But we read the Bible with rose-colored glasses and think there's nothing human in there like that. It's everything in there is supposed to be in there, and God said it this way. And, and if it says what, we get confused. We don't know. Let's just keep reading. All we know is women shut up. <laughs> it, it's almost like. There's no thinking involved. No, we're not rearranging anything. We're not changing anything. We're just looking at why would he put what in there? And why would he say, do you think the word of God came from you? And then he says, do you think the, way, the third part of that, put that back up, or came it only to you? That's, like, that's kind of like saying, do you, do you have special revelation? There is no special revelation. There's the spirit of the living God, and there's truth, and then there's how you read it. Jesus asked the Pharisees, he said, he says, what does Scripture say, and how do you read it? He made the distinction between the two. The question is still valid for us. What does it say, and how do we read it? Well, we want to read it, bringing in cultural and historical context so that when we go through this process of interpretation, we understand the big picture. And the what makes sense here. 
So let me just read a couple of notes. This is actually a quote from the letter from the Corinthians to Paul. In other words, this was not Paul's opinion. He was quoting what the Corinthians had said to him. The proof of his argument is in the rest of the chapter. So I'm going to give you some homework. Go back and read it. You don't have to agree with me. If you think that I'm wrong, that's fine. We can agree on Jesus, amen? And we'll just keep loving the world together. So at the end of chapter 14, we find another clue. If, if, uh, well, I already covered that. All right, let's jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll look at another one here. Now, this is interesting because Paul is writing to Timothy, and this church is in, it's Ephesus. It's Ephesus, right? This is a test. Anyway, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's dealing with particular issues, and the church is in Ephesus. And there, it's known, you can pull that down for just a second, it's known that um, they had the cult of Diana uh, pretty prevalent in that area. The cult of Diana, it's almost like um, the, 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 a version of this Lilith uh, uh, influence that we have now. The Luciferian agenda is to rearrange everything that God has structured and put in order. Lucifer wants to attack God's truth and affect mankind with it so that things get perverted. And Luciferians say, well, God's the bad guy. Lucifer just wanted to bring us some knowledge He's harmless, and look what the mean God did to him. You see that? Didn't anybody see that movie, Noah? Yeah, and it's like, wait a minute, these angels are God? What? You know, you, you don't really get it until you understand the Luciferian agenda to pervert the character of God. So one of the ways to pervert the character and the revealed truth of God is to rearrange the authority of man and women and to rearrange the structure of, of you know, leadership. And again, there are some things that, that are in place that we need to honor and look at. And yes, you know, God did create uh, Eve as a helpmeet. I mean, all those things are in place, but to me, it's the context is in love, not dominion. So, all right. These guys were dealing with the cult of Diana, and it was common, and you remember what Jim talked about last week with the markings in the street? I'm not going to go there, but, you know, there were, in the temple, there were certain activities that were very carnal and fleshy that you could engage in as part of your worship, and it was, you know, it was pretty bad. But Ephesus was a, another seedy area, and... When you again, this is a cultural thing. You go back and you read some of the uh, some of the uh, historical accounts of what was going on from uh, Josephus and from um, the other texts have slipped out of my mind. But what you're dealing with is a young pastor who's dealing with a group of women in his church that have bought into the Diana worship. In other words, God actually gave the earth to women, and women are in control because women have children. And we're the true creators, and so really we're godlike because we're the creators, and men are subpar to women. And, it, and, it, and it's like, it's not even about dominion, but they made it about dominion because the devil wanted to pervert even God's idea of what authority even is. 
okay? So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's probably telling him how you deal with this issue uh, of women speaking out of turn in the church. Now, I read this one account, and it talked about how he goes from addressing specific matters in Timothy, and he does deal with women issues, and he deals with uh, a couple other things, but when he gets to this point, the tense changes to woman. Now, I realize that could still be read as woman at large, but it's almost like he's addressing one specific thing. Now, you might not buy into this, and that's okay. Again, come back next week, and I'll just stick to preaching Jesus, and you can forget about this part, but it's important that we look, that we look at this stuff. Question. Yeah. You said there's a Lilith complex. Can you kind of expound on that? Well, Lilith, the Lilith complex is the same as the Diana, and that, like I just said, Lilith, okay. the Lilith story is that Lilith was Adam's first wife, mm-hmm. and Adam rejected her because she wanted to exercise dominion over Adam, right. and so then God made Eve. And so, really, the true mother of the earth is Lilith. Yeah, that's, that's a perversion in Kabbalism and, huh? The Lilith Fair. And, and honestly, I'll just go here. But you see it in the, in the, in a, in the perverted feminist movement, right? Now, some people... The man-hating feminists. That's the fruit of it. That's, that's, the, that's the mentality that gets created from perverting God's order and structure. And so it's not that, you know, Bible-believing, God-fearing conservatives, or I don't even want to attach conservatives to it, but, you know, people that want to live by God's structure hate women, or, you know, that's how it's portrayed in the media. But it's like, no, it's, 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 it's not... It's not that we're trying to say that women are under or below men. It's that you can't rearrange it and swing it so far back that says men are evil. And that's kind of where it's gone. Anyway, I don't want to get too off track. I just wanted to know what, like, what the Lilith complex was. Yeah. Kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. And so does that make sense? It does. And it's a good question because it makes a lot of sense in what we're seeing with the marches and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, we don't want, I mean, I don't think anybody wants oppression, but something's not right here. And so, you know, that's where the powers that be are still their hidden hand of, of demonic uh, uh, doctrine is still creeping into the earth. And the church falls for it and, and makes the, the fight about makes it political and tries to react and then just looks uneducated in its response when it's a spiritual issue to begin with. And that's what's happening here. There's a perversion in the stuff that's going on in Timothy's church because he was dealing with the same stuff with the cult of Diana. And so let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 2. A woman should learn in quietness and now... Imagine that he's responding to an issue that is out of hand in church, and he might be speaking to the men to say, hey, you know, let, let's, let's get this in control here. Like if we just had, I don't know, this is going to sound bad. I should probably just read, <laughs> stick to the text. But, it, but imagine something out of order happening, you know, a particular 
female jumping up, and I'm not looking at him. I'm just trying to be careful. And, and causing a scene and things getting out of hand, and it's like, okay, let, let's, let's get some structure and order in place here. This is not a gender issue, it's an order issue. The reason you know it's an order issue is because of the context. Everything else he's talking about before and after is everything should be done decently in order. He does leverage the idea of husbands being head over the household to put order in this topic, but it's not a gender issue that he's trying to address, it's an order issue. You catch that? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me say that. <laughs> So a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman. Now, again, it's, it's singular here. But I do not uh, permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Now, authority here is not the same word that is typically used for authority. It's actually a, um, an uprising, a violent uprising. It's a different word completely. So he's addressing the kind of authority that this woman or women in this church are trying to walk in, and it's more of a hostile takeover than it is God's order of how he structured authority. And it's not even this, it's this and love in the context. But anyway, for Adam, and so he retells the story of creation and puts it back in God's order of creation. Because remember, these women were believing that there was Lilith, that was Adam's first wife, and she was rejected because she was too strong, and so God made, her, made Adam another wife, and she was kicked out. And, and then you, that really goes into some weird things about where um, Cain found another wife in another location and stuff like that. And they, there's a whole structure built around this. And, and if you look at it from a particular perspective, it kind of makes sense, but then you realize at the deepest level it's a perversion. So <clears throat> he retells to set the order in place. Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why would he say that if he wasn't dealing with that issue? First, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman. I, you know, he's just kind of rubbing it in here now. <laughs> and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner, but... And it's like the original language says she and then the later. You'll see what I mean. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, uh, love, and holiness with propriety. And some groups, you know, kind of a more fundamental, reformed, which I love these people, but there's a particular, again, some people read the Bible without the cultural understanding, the historical understanding, and the contextual understanding. The context here is order, not gender. So what he's referring to here is that, this is kind of hard to put into words, but remember, it was said that Diana was the creator-like being on the planet because she gave childbirth, and it's almost like he's putting childbirth back in its right place. You're not perverted women. You're not the savior of the earth because you're the creator. Salvation comes through the child. And the word the, where, where are we? Yeah. So nevertheless, she will be saved in the childbearing if you continue in faith. 
Ultimately, all of that to say, and I know that was a little clunky, it gets around to the idea that he's putting it back in the order of Jesus that does, is, that does come through women is where salvation comes from. Now, that's an extreme oversimplification, but we're running out of time. But here's the point. Even if you don't agree with that, you still have to look at this idea and understand that there does seem to be a contradiction in the way that Jesus functioned. You know, I mean, Jesus brought women into a place of authority in his ministry. He, he didn't say, oh, don't let her be an apostle. He didn't, and there were early apostles, right? You know, he would have corrected that right off the bat. Um, and the women that, you know, we, we see so much of the character of God is revealed through women. The woman at the well, I mean, that was really almost the first person that Jesus revealed himself to, that he was God. You know, she said, well, we know when the Messiah comes, and he says, I'm here. That's a big deal. The woman that came, the, the ex-prostitute that came, Mary that came and washed his feet and touched him, and, you know, so much was he didn't separate. So you see a lot through how Jesus treated women and the character of how he revealed God to be. It just doesn't line up with this. Now, we're not trying to interpret based on our humanistic understanding, but there are some seeming contradictions, contradictions and you've got to get those in place. And it's just if you don't go back and read the archaeological evidence or the historical writings or the commentaries about these points, just read it in context, meaning read the part before it and read it after and see is he talking about putting people, putting women in their place, or is he talking about general order anyway? Now, you absolutely would not get the Lilith and Diana stuff from a face value reading, and that's sometimes where Christianity misses it. Again, the Bible is not wrong. It's just that our interpretation is sometimes wrong because we don't have the whole story to deal with to understand some of these issues that we're talking about, right? It's like, Jesus, remember when he came up out of the grave and he said, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to the Father, and then just a few days later he shows up to Thomas, go ahead and touch me. It wasn't about a woman not touching him, it was about the high priest taking the blood of the sacrificial lamb, which was his own blood, into the heavenly holy of holies and presenting that blood, and he couldn't be touched to taint that blood before he got there to make the sacrifice. You wouldn't know that unless you knew the, the history of what the, how the priest functioned. So all of that just to say, when you read something, absolutely the Word of God is true, undeniable. We have what He wanted us to have. Amen? We live by this Word. I mean, we, we want His Spirit to illuminate and enlighten this Word, and we go to it for, for direction. Now, Jesus Himself is the life within us, and that life within us will shed light on the Scripture that we do have. But when you read something that's seemingly contradictory, don't freak out. Just say, I don't know everything, and let me understand the true character of who God is as revealed in Jesus, and then, then let's go from there. Let's not just take something that we think, well, the Bible says it, and that's all we're going to stick to. It's like, well, yeah, okay, I get that. Not throwing the Bible out. But do you understand why that's there and everything else around the context that's, that's in that passage? Amen? Amen? And the real truth is, what if you didn't have a Bible? 
What are you supposed to do then? Follow God. Again, to me, it's all the context is always back to love. Those are the two things that Jesus said were the most important things. Love God with all your heart, strength, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as you want to be loved or as you love yourself, you know. The context is always back to love. If you find something in the Word of God that, that just doesn't sit right or you don't understand it or you've been told one thing but it just doesn't seem to make sense to you, ask yourself, how does this make sense in the context of what Jesus expects of us? And that is, first and foremost, to acknowledge that God sent Jesus to give me righteousness that I can't earn on my own because he loves me, so my response to him is love. And then how do I now walk in love, continually revealing that same character as revealed in Jesus? In other words, bring it all down to how can I walk in the two commandments? And it's not that you're going to come up with, and you remember Jim said this last week, you can't come up with a version of love that's different from how God defines love in his word. You can't just make up some humanistic understanding of what you think God's love is. That's where you get love that is made legal in this country, and it's not really love. It's humanistic emotion, but it's not true love design that was originally designed by God. Amen? So, are you, are you encouraged? Did you learn anything? And again, it's not, I'm not trying to make you believe these things, but we're going to stick to Jesus. But you know what? Here's the thing. If, if women aren't in a position of prominence in the church, you know, here's the thing. Did I just say here's the thing? Here's one more thing. <laughs> People that stick to this thing that women should just sit down and be silent in the church, their church is run by women. They just don't let them have the microphone. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it just doesn't make... This, this is, this, here's the contradiction that I think the world is sick of from the church. We say one thing and then do another. In function, if you didn't know those passages and you showed up in most churches that say women are supposed to be silent, you see women everywhere running all kinds of things. So in function, it's not stuck to. But it's, it's almost like a fence law. Well, you know, women can teach this stuff. They can be with the kids, but they can't teach men. It's like a fence law for a law that's not even in place. I'm kind of on my soapbox now, but I'm just, I'm just wanting to, sh to, to kind of highlight some of the areas where you see something that people say they stick to this, but, but don't actually live that. It's not actually structured and organized that way. Women, rise up in decency and in order, as we all should. Amen? And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you're a husband and you're ever wondering why your marriage is such a mess, it's probably because you are not bringing love unconditionally into that household. Well, she won't respect me. When she finally does this, then I'll do this. Grow up. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God designed it to work. The reality is, when you love her like Jesus loved you, in other words, he decided to love you and pour out his love on you when you were in your darkness, 
when you were dead, cut off from him in sin, rebellious in your mind and in your heart toward God, that's when God showed you his love for you. You know, if, if husbands, your wife is struggling with something or you don't feel that sense of closeness, love. Bring the love in unconditionally. Your wife is a garden. You're going to get out what you put in. And then you'll get the respect that you want. Well, when she respects me, then I'll love her. Well, <laughs> she might. And I'm not saying that the women don't have the authority to do this or that it's out of order, but the way that Paul teaches it, husbands love your wives, and then wives respect your husbands. All women are looking for love. All men are looking for respect. Pink and blue. Pink and blue. Respect is how you love your husband. Y'all just got, that's for free. That's some quick marriage counseling there for free. Well, let's give God the glory. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your truth. And, and Lord, we don't, we don't want to veer off uh, the, the, the unquestionable nature of your truth. We want to be rock solid in exactly how you would interpret these things, exactly how you would lead us. So if there's areas, God, where we're off, we give you our hearts, we open our minds to be led and taught by you. Just like Jesus said, we know that you will lead us and guide us into all truth, and we trust that. We trust that, that, that we don't have to trip ourselves up and get everything perfectly. We just have to keep our hearts open to you and be yielded to this process of transformation. I'm teachable. I know you're leading me. Father, I want you to be glorified as I continue to follow you. I trust you. Just tell him you trust him. I trust you, Lord. You know, you always want prayer to be connected to him. You're not just saying words. You want to, you want to search within you. Am I connected with him? Am I speaking? Is this a conversation with him? Thank you for your presence, Lord.